You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. We are sponsored, as always, by Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. I'm host John Siegley, and I am joined by Sean Moran and Cheryl McMillan. Guys, I wish that we could be having this podcast under better circumstances, but even with everything going on, we still wanted to come together to talk about some UNC basketball recruiting. So let's go ahead and start it there. And Sherelle, going to start this one off with you. You posted the article on the Inside Carolina Premium Basketball Message Board laying out how this new pandemic has really impacted Roy Williams and the coaching staff's schedule. So as we sit here today, I mean, it's Thursday evening when we are recording this podcast. Go ahead and and let the listeners know just what happened when the news broke that basically the, the entire country needed to be shut down and people needed to start practicing the social distancing. So uh, I guess you could say that North Carolina was going to finish out their season. You know, well, they did finish out their season against uh, Syracuse. Um, and from there, we kind of got word that Roy Williams had planned to get on the road, um, him and the UNC staff, because originally the way it was scheduled, the dead period didn't end until the end of this month. So um, even though they weren't in the tournament, they could go out and see players and make visits and, um, do all those things. And <clears throat> the word we got was they were going to Minnesota to see Corwin Walton. And then that they probably were going to go out to California to see uh, Zaire Williams. Uh, there are two kind of loan scholarships uh, offers remaining out in the 2020 class. Uh, so, of course, uh, two days after, I guess the day after North Carolina uh, lost to Syracuse, kind of everything ended as far as sports are concerned. The NCAA tournament, you know, NBA, every, everything just kind of shut down. And so the NCAA instituted a dead period that lasts into April. Um, also, there will be no national letters of intent um, that players can sign into April as a moratorium on that as well. So right now, the things that coaches can do, they can text players, they can call players, they can FaceTime slash video chat with players, and they can message them on social media. So um, the word we've gotten is that the UNC staff is taking advantage of that and, and doing the best they can to uh, try to work on the class of 2021. And if a scholarship opens up to also work on the class of 2020 and, and getting another addition to bring in in the fall. So, Sean, what have you heard from your sources amongst the coaching ranks, um, the people that follow recruiting, like some of the maybe the high school kids themselves, if you have if you've heard from any of their coaches or anyone from the AAU circuit, how they're dealing with this situation right now? I mean, I think each each uh, group you mentioned is is different. I mean, I think from a, a coaching perspective, uh, you know, I think you've seen a lot more photos or, or videos or tweets of, of them spending time with their, their family and trying to figure out things that they can do, which is, is definitely good, I think, in terms of how that affects them. Uh, I mean, each day you see on the transfer portal – you know, new players being added and, and new players coming out. And, you know, all of a sudden after 24 hours, 48 hours, they already have a list. So, you know, I don't think UNC is going to be very active in, in that market uh, just due to the, the talent that, that's coming out. But 
as we talk about recruiting. And I think, you know, on the, on the transfer side, it's, it's still texts and FaceTimes and, and everything, even though you can't meet them in person or have them on campus. And then, you know, in terms of a recruiting perspective, uh, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast, but I think that was going to be one advantage that UNC had by not being in any of the tournaments is they were going to have kind of a free reign to, you know, make, make some visits and get out and see people. And now that was, that was canceled as, as Cheryl mentioned, going to Minnesota and California, you know, and then from a recruiting perspective, I guess it's a lot more uh, YouTube videos and, and synergy of some of the AAU games last year, just trying to get a better read on some of the players. I mean, for myself, I was ready to go out to Atlanta for the final four, uh, mostly for the USA basketball event that was going to be taking place there, which was going to be a good place to see a lot of the rising, uh, you know, juniors and seniors and, and get some eyes on them in the early spring. And then same thing for the first live period um, in Indianapolis and Louisville for Nike and uh, Adidas. So you don't get that experience. And for, for UNC, they like to really use that first and second live period just to get eyes on players and kind of figure out who they want to target and start offering in the spring. So you kind of lose that ability to see a bunch of games, but I would imagine there's a lot of uh, you know YouTube and, and clips being watched, but definitely a, a weird time and one that uh, will make things uh, you know interesting, but it's a challenge that everybody has across the industry. And I would add too, I guess for those who maybe haven't uh, checked updates, but all the postseason events, all the uh, all American games are canceled. So North Carolina had four players in the McDonald's game canceled. They had three players in the Jordan Brand game canceled. They had uh, is it three or four? They had three in the Hoop Summit canceled. Yep. Um, R.J. Davis was two games from a state championship canceled. <clears throat> Caleb Love was also two games from a state championship canceled. Uh, Walker Kessler had actually had already won his state championship before all this happened. And then De'Ron Sharp had a chance to win um, what's kind of called the national championship at Geico Nationals, which we're going to be in New York City uh, in early April. And that was canceled as well. Additionally, um, like Sean said, the evaluation periods are canceled. So that's the Nike EYBO circuit, Adidas's circuit, and Under Armour circuit. And the thing that's you know kind of interesting now is that um, the next opportunity that hasn't been canceled yet for North Carolina C players in the 2021 class is the MBPA camp in the middle of June. And I'd say based upon everything um, that's happening in sports, you know, that is definitely in jeopardy. And then the July live periods start um, that second week in July. So, um, you know, I'm really curious to see what happens over the next month or so, because it could be a situation where there's no summer ball at all. Um, and it just starts back in the fall when guys go to their high school teams. And for North Carolina, as Sean said, that would be, I don't want to say disastrous, but that would be a very unique challenge because they do rely heavily on those eval periods, especially from the younger classes. Um, so 2021 and 2022 to kind of get um, a beat on them to see, you know, who they like, kind of see who they want to investigate or who they want to watch more. Without that, um, you know, it's it's difficult because they are very much a live evaluation staff, whereas um, a lot of other staffs maybe are okay offering somebody just on video. That's not how the UNC staff operates. So, you know, I'm curious to see if they'll be able to adapt if something happens where there isn't any travel ball at all this summer. 
Let me ask you guys how you think this will impact the recruitment of Zaire Williams in particular, because you mentioned, Sherelle, that the staff was planning to go out and watch him. That was canceled. He is probably the one recruit that I think the fans are still waiting to see what happens the most out of that class of 2020. So, Sean, where do you think Zaire is at in his recruitment at this point, and how do you think this impacts it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a, a great question, and um, you know, wish wish I had a better better answer. Uh, I mean, I think kind of the consensus over the last se- you know several months has been that he is uh, trending towards a Pac-12 school, whether that is USC or Arizona, um, or even I know Stanford is in the has been in the mix for a while as well. But it definitely seems like a, a West Coast school, and I think you know, mentioned it on one of the other podcasts and sure alluded to it, but, you know, with any top 10 player now, you know, do they want to follow, uh, you know, what RJ Hampton did and, and go to Australia? Um, you know, Australia, they just canceled. I think they had won uh, kind of the deciding game in their championship series um, that just got canceled. So once again, who knows how kind of the international uh, waters will, will look also, but, you know, for him, I think, you know, it was kind of exciting to see that Roy was still invested in him. Um, you know, whether or not they have a chance is another story. But once again, here's a guy that UNC was on pretty early, definitely earlier than any other major major school. And he, he fits a, a definite need in terms of the wing position. But, you know, one that, once again, the one and dones besides for Kobe have not been, you know, as great as they have been at, at other schools, but at the same time, I think uh, he would fit in very well and, and could definitely provide a, a big boost to the team. So, unfortunately, uh, while I'm out in California, not too far from him, no inside information, but I would still say this one would be uh, a long shot at best. What's your take on that, Sherelle? Where do you think UNC is at right now with the Zaire Williamson recruitment? That seems to be the general consensus is that, uh, you know, North Carolina probably won't be his choice. Um, just the way the 2020 class kind of came together, I'm hesitant to say if there's a 100% chance he's not coming to Carolina. But, it, you know, it's probably in the in the 90s. Uh, just because, you know, Walker Kessler wasn't coming to Carolina either. And then he did. And Puff Johnson wasn't coming to Carolina either. And then he did. But I, I don't, I really don't think that's going to happen in this situation. Uh, I think once he kind of made the move, to Sierra Canyon, and there were other influences that that were there at that school. Um, I think that was kind of the end for North Carolina. <clears throat> Excuse me. Additionally, he came back for that second official visit, which was his third visit in a calendar year in September. And it was kind of like if they couldn't get him then, then you know what was going to change over the next few months that would help North Carolina if he had been there three times, been there with his parents, seen the best that Carolina had to offer. I believe a Carolina Duke game too late night with Royce. And like, if he wasn't ready to pull the trigger, then he probably never was going to be. Yeah. I remember going back, uh, you know, really this time last year and I got a chance to see him play. I think it was January, February of his junior season. And, you know, really Stanford, he had visited Stanford for his official visit. Uh, But really UNC, you know, he was getting very excited talking about UNC and, I remember saying nothing on the message boards and just, you know, on the our Slack chats of, you know, man, it would be great for UNC to wrap him up before AAU uh, because at the time he hadn't played on the Nike EYBL circuit. Um, and, you know, he obviously 
decided he wanted to, you know, prolong the recruitment and did very well on the EYBL and got a lot of other other interests. But, you know, as as that time continued, you could kind of see potential interests looking looking elsewhere. Um, I mean, I think maybe the one glimmer of hope, which, you know, I don't know how, how bright it is now, but I remember, you know, talking to his, I think it was his mom the, the first day I saw him and she mentioned, oh, you know, we're really excited to get out to North Carolina and see kind of a real, real basketball school and, and real atmosphere. You know, none of the schools on the West Coast kind of offer that, you know, offer that out here. Um, but at the same time, that was over a year ago and, and a lot has changed, especially, you know, going to Sierra Canyon and, and being on a national powerhouse. All right, guys, great stuff there. Let's go ahead and take a very quick commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. They have been sponsoring the Inside Carolina podcast as well as helping out UNC Athletics for decades. If you can make it to their store on Franklin Street, that's where you can find every single thing that you could possibly want for the Tar Heel fan in your family. And if you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can always shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can really help them out by supporting the local business of Giant T-Shirt. If you are trying to see which of the you know local places in your community that are still remaining open and can do online orders, GiantT-Shirt.com is your place to go where you can still order all the Tar Heel gear, basketball jerseys, football jerseys, soccer jerseys. You can find it all there at giantt-shirt.com and you can also get amazing customer service and don't forget that if you are a subscriber to inside carolina you get 10 percent off of your orders either there at the frank street location or online you can get that 10 percent off code from the tar pit premium message board or the basketball premium message board so that's giant t-shirt and giantt-shirt.com your place to go for carolina gear so guys let's go ahead and in the next part of the podcast Go ahead and talk a little bit about Kerwin Walton. Sean, I'm going to go ahead and open this one up to you. What's the update there, man? Well, I mean, I wanted to kind of bring him up just because of, of how many messages and the back and forth that it had on the, the message board. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting, you know, question of, of if he'd I guess, sorry to go back, does UNC really, you know, really want him and, and will they offer him a scholarship if one frees up? And I think the consensus is, you know, on one side, he's a great shooter and, and they need a body. And on the other side is, you know, you kind of, when you watch his videos, you you get that he definitely isn't isn't the quickest um, you know, off the dribble or, or perhaps defensively. So I think initially I was in the camp of, you know, I, I don't think he's quick enough or athletic enough, um, you know, to kind of turn into a, a key player at UNC. But I think as I watch more video and, and kind of taking a, a deeper dive into the depth chart, you know, I'm kind of coming around to the camp that, hey, you know, maybe he, he's not going to be a huge piece for this upcoming year. But given what could be open in, in really, I say, what, 20 and 21, you know, when you lose Garrison and, you lose Playtech and you lose probably Caleb Love. Uh, you know, he could be a good body to have. You know, he has the shooting right off the bat. And who knows what, you know, perhaps could be done in the UNC, uh, you know, training and, and weightlifting program. But I've kind of come around to if, if um, you know, a spot frees up, I, I definitely would not be 
opposed to it. And, I, and I've tried to watch, you know, more than just the, the highlight tape. So I've been in, in synergy and, and uh, looking at some of the, the full game video and he graded out very well um, overall in, in the Adidas AU circuit. Now, a lot of that was his spot up shooting. Um, I think he was in the quote unquote excellent tier, um, which doesn't come as a surprise, but I think that, you know, he definitely generated a lot of discussion this week on, you know, should they take him? Should they not take him? Is he good enough? Is he not good enough? And I think it's a, a very valid question and one I've kind of been debating a lot myself. Cheryl, what are you hearing about Curran Walton? Do you have anything to add about where UNC may be at as far as trying to reach out to him? Yeah, I think UNC's in a good spot. Um, I, I think he's definitely a take for them uh, if they have a scholarship come open. Right now, that's the main thing is that there there's not necessarily a scholarship uh, available unless there's a player departure. So that's part one of it. it it's kind of a complicated situation. So just a little bit of... Uh, recap on Walton's recruitment. So North Carolina answered really, really late. Um, I think it was maybe September when they got in there and Steve Robinson had seen him play on the Adidas circuit. I think it was the game where he hit 10 or 11 threes. And so North Carolina had been talking to him back and forth um, and they had seen him before because he played uh, at Hopkins high school as a powerhouse school in Minnesota um, with Zeke Naji, who is, uh, or was, um, one of the best players in the Pac-12 this past year who probably be a one and done. North Carolina offered him in the 2019 class as well. So they were familiar with Walton to some degree, um, but it kind of went really quickly once they offered him. Uh, he came down for an official visit. We were kind of getting information that it looked like he was going to pick UNC. And then, you know, eight days later, Puff Johnson visited and kind of took his spot. So uh, at that point, North Carolina was out of scholarship. So we just kind of assumed that um, they were done with him, but they kept talking to him, kept talking to him, um, you know, December, January into the spring. Um, and they've really kind of, you know, made it a point to say, we, we like you and we want you in Chapel Hill. I think they really value, especially after this past season, anyone with shooting prowess. And as Sean said, um, there's going to be a lot of roster turnover, not just from the players they're losing this year, but there's also going to be um, at least more than likely four seniors who graduate next year. And then probably one of the freshmen will be one and done. So you're looking at another five players leaving after this upcoming season. Um, so they're going to need players. And, you know, there's a lot uh, there's, there's worse players that take a chance on, I should say, than someone with his size and his shooting ability um, who's played well on a major circuit. So that's kind of the recap of his recruitment. Um, I think North Carolina, if, you know, if uh, they have a scholarship, I think they have a really good shot of getting him. And I think it'd be a, a good ad because, um, if you look at the roster, again, Anthony Harris is going to be out. You know, we don't know how long he's going to be out. So Andrew Playtech is, uh, you know, should be healthy entering the season. So should R.J. Davis and so should Caleb Love. You know, you still have questions about just how much Jeremiah Francis is going to be able to play. And that's all of North Carolina scholarship guards because Leaky Black's going to have to play on the wing. So, you know, if they could have someone like Walton come in and just give them some time at the two, I think that'd be pretty huge, especially someone with his size. Um, so I, I, I'm, I think he'd be a good pickup, especially this late. Um, I think he's someone who, you know, I don't think he'll ever be like an all ACC type player or anything, but just a really solid, you know, kind of a Kenny Williams type, not saying their games are the same, just that the type of impact, someone who can come in and give you 10 points and kind of help you out, who can be, you know, the fourth or fifth best player on a team that goes far in the tournament, something like that. All right, good stuff, guys. Sean, anything else to add on Walton, or you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about Caleb Love here? 
Yeah, uh, you know, I don't think anything anything else to add on uh, Walton. You know, Caleb Love kind of offered basketball fans. Uh, it was a live stream last Saturday, and at that time, everything had been been shut down, and you know, a lot of people had started kind of their social distancing and quarantining. I know it was kind of a, a rainy day in LA, and was able to watch uh, some of the game, and and there was a decent amount on Twitter and the message boards about it. But you know, I, I think you know for for Caleb Love and, and even RJ, they're going to have a very, very important role uh, going forward. You know, we'll see where UNC is ranked, you know, in the preseason. I think so far we've seen kind of, you know, 15, 16, um, somewhere around there. And you can kind of look at the team and, you know, you look at the bigs and you can check that off. You know, every preseason magazine will have the front court as, as one of the top top of the country, if not the, the number one. Um, and then you go to the guards and, and you, you're going to have, you know, four four guards once Harris gets healthy. But you really have, you know, we're talking about Jeremiah, you know, how much will he be able to play? Harris probably won't be healthy until January, February, if, if that. Um, so it comes down to two freshmen. And Caleb Love's going to carry the, the big burden. Um, so, you know, I think it was good to see, see him play well in kind of the state, you know, state tournament. Uh, you know, one of the shots he, he hit a few times was kind of this, uh, I don't know if it was a bank runner or kind of a runner from the left side. And I think that'll be a lot more difficult in college for him to hit. But I think one of the things we have seen is his uh, overall outside shooting improve. Um, so I think, you know, it, it'd be great if he was an above 35% three-point shooter next year. Um, I would put that at the over-under. Uh, I'm not sure which, which way I'd go right now, but the load is going to be be heavy on him from the get-go and it'll be interesting to see if he can really get UNC back into that up, you know, up-tempo team that everybody's used to see. Yeah, a lot of fans were very encouraged by his play in that tournament. It was really nice to be able to see how far he has come as a point guard and just his development. So Sherelle, when you're looking forward to when Love will actually join the team, you know, it, I think there is a good reason for the positivity. And as you're sitting here watching basically the end of his high school career, what are your thoughts now as he does begin that process of coming to Carolina over the summer? Well, that's the, that's another thing. Is he going to be coming to North Carolina over the summer? I mean, there's there's we, we just don't know. All this is so new. Um, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that North Carolina won't have summer sessions like we it's just all this is uncharted territory. So you could be getting into a situation where um, for the first time, and I, I can't remember, I think Jalik Felton was probably the last person who didn't enroll in June and have that summer session to kind of get used to Carolina basketball, get used to um, the rigors of, of uh, UNC as far as, uh, you know, classes and, and academic stuff. And then the pickup games and, and working Roy Williams's camp and just kind of getting ingratiated with the culture of UNC. Uh, so that would be fairly unique, um, especially for a class like 2020 that has such a, a large burden coming in immediately where, you know, all five guys are going to play and probably play a lot. Uh, so that'll be interesting to look at. That's another side effect of all the coronavirus stuff is that we just don't know when everything's going to open back up. So Caleb Love could be walking on to Carolina's campus for the first time a month before fall practice starts, which would be just unheard of. At any rate, um, I think he has improved so much over the last year. <clears throat> when you talk to him, I think, Sean, I saw him, uh, it's been a little over a year ago for the first time um, down in Atlanta. 
And when you talk to him, he was talk. He basically said, "I'm trying to make the transition from a combo guard to a point guard." And you could kind of see the um, the rough edges of, of that process taking place because he would make a couple beautiful plays, and then he would throw the ball, you know, into the you know into another court or try to do something that really wasn't needed when he could just make a a very simple play and move forward. And um, as time has gone on, especially. Uh, I guess starting with USA, really. Um, and then with Brad Bill Elite some over the summer, you started to see him refine those skills and become that true point guard or that true lead guard that is so in vogue right now. Uh, so I, I I think he is a great fit for what North Carolina likes to do. But with everything, you know, freshman struggle. So there's always that caveat. But I, I think he'll definitely have North Carolina playing at a faster play, uh, faster pace than it did this past season. And I think with R.J. Davis uh, either starting or playing alongside him a, a good deal, that'll really help the pace pick up because both are excellent ball handlers and both like to to play that kind of up-tempo game. So I, I'm looking forward to watching him. I think he um, – someone said it, and, you know, people get mad at me when I make comparisons and everything, but someone said that Caleb was kind of what Jalik or what we thought Jalik might be, and I think that is a pretty apt comparison. It's not, you know, exact. It's not one-to-one. But just that idea of a, a really solidly built point guard or lead guard um, who's athletic, who can score. Now, he's not the passer Jalik was, um, but he has those kind of skills. So I, I think that's kind of how I'm envisioning him um, as, you know, just someone who can come in and be really, really solid. He, he might not have the 30-point games like Kobe and like Cole, but I do think he'll be very efficient. Um, and I do think he'll he'll take your North Carolina far. I'm, I'm a big fan, and I think all the national guys have really – um, talked about vaulting him uh, a little bit higher in the rankings for you know the better part of a year and just uh, how much he's improved. Well, it'll be interesting to see the end of the year rankings. I, I know Draft Express on the ESPN mocks already have them uh, you know, around 10 or 11 in, in their mock, which, as we saw with Naz Little, can sometimes be, be a curse. But at the same time, you're not going to see that, you know, the, the all-star bump that players can get from having a really good week at McDonald's or or hoop summit that maybe uh, is just a little biased in terms of, of what was most recently seen. So I think it'll be interesting. And, and just on RJ Davis, I mean, I think I'm, I know his ranking is, I can't remember exactly what it is, but definitely in kind of the, the sub 50 area, but I, I think I'm pretty excited about seeing him. And I think from a tempo perspective that, he might be even a little bit more natural in terms of getting that tempo up, just having seen him a little bit more in the high school scene with, with the team, his team pushing the ball at the court and his ability to do that. But I think with both of them being able to handle the ball, uh, both of them being able to score, it'll, it'll definitely give UNC, you know, a good dynamic offensively where, you know, this year, a lot of times you watch them, you know, if Cole's in the game, it's like, all right, outside of Cole, who's going to create a shot or where's the offense going to come from. And if he wasn't on the floor, you're like, all right, besides throwing it down low, where's the offense going to come from? And both of these guys can create on their own and they both have good vision as well. Definitely agree with the takes about Love and Davis. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do for Carolina next year. But like Sherelle said, I mean, <laughs> if we will have to wait and see if they actually do enroll at Chapel Hill over the summer or not. That is a legitimate question, and we don't know what the future holds, so we'll just have to wait and see. 
Let's take one last commercial break to hear from the national sponsors. When we get back, we will go ahead and wrap up the podcast. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Guys, to wrap up the podcast, I thought we could do something a little bit on the fun and lighthearted side. Saw this on the message board from Thad Williamson about the top 64 UNC basketball games. And I figured we could just cut right to the chase and wanted to ask you guys what your top one or two basketball games are in your estimation. I'll go ahead and give mine real quick, and that would be the 2009 National Championship game just because that's when I was in Chapel Hill for a National Championship win, and it was really awesome to see that game basically be over with after you know five or six minutes when Carolina just put Michigan State away early. So I'm going to go ahead and cop out and give my quick answer there. But for you guys, I'd be interested to hear y'all's takes. So, Sean, let's start with you, man. As you sit here, what are a couple of your favorite UNC basketball games that you can remember off the top of your head. All right. Well, I mean, obviously the, the championships games, and if I, had, if I had to rate the championship games, 2005 would be there for me. That was when when I was in school, so I got to uh, run out to Franklin Street and and obviously just kind of seeing, you know, where they had come from and, and what they were able to do. But outside of the championship games, you know, I think it's number nine on the list, but is the 2017 Luke May shot over Kentucky. Uh, I remember, you know, I was having to stream that game at a wedding and, you know, uh, Malik Monk hits a three to tie it. And, and then they, you know, Theo runs down the floor and, and, uh, Luke May hits a shot. Um, so you could imagine me trying to contain my excitement while I think the, the father of the pride's dad was, was speaking. Um, but just that, that game in general, beating Kentucky, uh, especially the year after losing to Villanova on the heartbreaking shot. But, you know, there's kind of a few other games that stuck out to me. And there was kind of a, a common theme of the years that UNC did win the championship and kind of that one game where they were challenged for a bit. And, you know, sometimes I remember, you know, thinking, all right, well, maybe this just, is, just isn't isn't the year. So 2005, it was the, the Villanova game uh, in the Sweet 16, which, you know, I, I still remember vividly. Um, you know, in 2009, it was just a little bit of the LSU game and, you know, that year UNC just destroyed everybody and they ended up destroying LSU. But I I remember sitting in, I think I was playing at Hollywood in in the Vegas, uh, sports book and, and just being like, man, what is, what is happening when LSU is actually playing well? And then 
going into the 2017 championship, um, you have the Arkansas game where for a while Arkansas was just looking like the, the better, more athletic team. And then all of a sudden it flipped. And then finally the Oregon final four where UNC had dominated the game the whole time. And, you know, luckily with, uh, with Meeks getting those rebounds kind of sealing it, but um, all those kind of, you know, brought you to the the brink. And, and for a second you thought, you know, UNC has all this talent. They're not going to win. They found a way and they eventually won. So I would say the Kentucky game as well as some of the, the games I just mentioned were the ones that jumped out to me on that list. All right, Sherelle, what about you, man? So you can check out the list. It's on the front page of Inside Carolina. It's, uh, the title is Carolina's 64 Greatest uh, NCAA Tournament Games. And obviously the championship ones are kind of at the top. Um, I, I'll just give number one. We'll just go ahead and give that one. Um, which is it was an interesting choice. Uh, there's some discussion, I think, that can be had. But number one was the 1982 NCAA championship game, obviously the Michael Jordan shot. I think some people might say that number two, the 1957 NCAA final, even though most people didn't see it, but three overtimes, uh, a one-point win over Will Chamberlain is kind of a big deal in finishing a perfect season. So I think there would be some argument, probably based upon your age, uh, between those two games as number one. Uh, but for me, you know, Sean mentioned a lot of great ones. Mine isn't necessarily, I won't say favorite, but just one that really sticks out to me um, is on the list. And it's um, the 1990 uh, game against Oklahoma. So that is, let me see, actually, it's worse than number, uh, number 15. So that was, uh, I think, the second round. Uh, during that time, North Carolina was in the, the midst of their uh, Sweet 16 stretch. I think it was from... 82 until 94 where they made the sweet 16 every single season and that year they were an eight seed and it wasn't a great year it's one of my first memories of carolina basketball because i just remember rick fox hitting the shot and everyone at my house my grandparents my grandma my uncles my my parents they just lost their mind and started jumping up and down and i was still a little young at that time so i kind of got it but i didn't really get the importance of it um it was the 10th straight uh sweet 16 and you know i think at that point if there were message boards back then and there were the kind of media climate we have now. That's when people would start saying, Oh, you know, coach Smith has lost it a little bit, but then you go and beat a number one seed in the second round. And then you go the next season um, back to the final four and you go to the sweet 16 and then you win the national championship in 1993. So it seemed like that was kind of just one down year, but um, even in a down year, they, they found some magic uh, aside from that. Uh, I go back to 2005. So, Sean, question for you. Yeah. Um, did Alan Ray travel? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's still there's still a lot of debate about that. I actually just Googled it. And the first thing that comes up when you do, like, Alan Ray UNC travel is worst NCAA tournament call ever. Um, talking about the Villanova game in the Sweet 16 in 2005. Um, so that Wait, was, well, that what was, do you think? I, 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 thought he, I thought he was good. I really didn't think he traveled, but I'll take it. Um, so, you know, those those games um, are, are definitely up there. And then I guess personally, the, the Luke May game, um, that was that whole week for me personally uh, was was interesting because <laughs> uh, that Sunday, obviously, was the final against Kentucky. And it's not talked about a lot, but North Carolina kind of blew that game. <laughs> they were up by six or seven with 40-some seconds left and just couldn't make the one free throw to kind of put the game away. And it came down to Luke May kind of hitting, you know, the shot of his life, arguably the second biggest shot in Carolina history. And so then 
the next night, my wife goes into labor with our first daughter. And then Saturday, that Saturday, Carolina beats Oregon because of Kennedy Meeks' rebounding prowess. And then two days later, they win the national championship um, in a very ugly game where basically the last, I guess it was those last three plays kind of sealed it. So for me, the Luke May shot will always be associated with like the birth of my daughter and like a really emotional, just weird week. Um, so I, I put it that pretty high just on a personal level. Well, I think the question ultimately comes down to exactly how much do the games matter to you on a personal level? I mean, that's why I went with the 9 one, which I don't think a lot of people would necessarily agree with because the game itself was actually not that compelling, but it was just so cool to, you know, just watch that and, and kind of just know that Carolina was going to win a national championship. I mean, I actually appreciate that there was zero trauma in that game. Um, but yeah, I think you, you do have to really, you know, just decide on a personal level what's important to you. One game to throw out there, and I think you kind of forget, I mean, 2005, you know, you had the, the Villanova game that, um, you know, obviously could have, could have gone, gone either way. And then UNC basically went through, you know, the, the big 10 of Wisconsin, which was a, a closer game than expected and, and Michigan state to Illinois. And, you know, when I was going through the list, it kind of caught me because in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, UNC just rolled through Michigan State in the Final Four and they won by 16. Um, yeah, 16. But I forgot that they were actually down at the half. And that was a team with, you know, Shannon Brown and Paul Davis and, and Drew Neitzel and, and Torbert. Um, and, you know, to think back how dominant that team was and just how they, they just flicked the switch and, and, you know, when they're clicking on all cylinders, how, how good they really were to win by 16, especially being down at the half. So, you know, it, it's kind of fun going through the list and reminiscing on a lot of, you know, UNC fans have been, been lucky to see a lot of those championships uh, with Roy Williams and, and even going back before. So it was a it was a nice list to look, look back at and, and see some of those games. So I wanted to add something to that. And, you know, this is a different from that list, but what is the most painful loss, NCAA tournament loss for y'all <laughs> for UNC? I mean, you got to go. I mean, once again, I guess take, taking away the, the championship game of, of Villanova, um, you know, where I was uh, sitting behind that basket in Houston. So you don't see... Chris Jenkins, you know, you know, you see uh, Archie a little bit out of control, which is what you hope for. And then all of a sudden you see Jenkins appear behind him. And as soon as the ball left, you know, especially from that angle, you knew it was good. And you looked up, you still saw the time and then you just saw it drop through the net, um, you know, and then just sitting there and, and being in anguish. So obviously a championship game, I'd say that one in terms of other games, I got to go the the Georgetown game, overtime game, Elite Eight, um, what was it, 2007, I think it was. Um, you know, that game or even the 2008 game, the, the Kansas comeback. And I still remember, I think it was Danny Green pulling up from three from the left, left wing and the three-pointer, I think, down five, uh, just kind of spun in and out. And then Kansas kind of comes down and, and gets the alley-oop and, and kind of the steam goes out of the sails. So those three come to my, come to my mind right off the bat. Yeah, yeah my, you, Go ahead, John. Well, as I say, mine is the Georgetown loss. Um, the Kansas almost comeback, 
I mean, it really sucked in the moment, but I mean, Kansas really just came out and, you know, if Carolina had managed to, to pull off the upset, that would have been amazing. But um, I, I, I think that Georgetown loss just still is the one that gets me. Cause I think that was the year that Carolina, if they had gotten through Georgetown, they would have won the whole thing. Um, what were you, you going to say, Sherelle? So uh, a couple reassuring our age, because I think some of our listeners are going to be like, there's nothing from the 80s in here. Well, you know, <laughs> most of us were born in, in the 80s, so we missed most of that as far as seeing it live. Um, but a, a couple others. Georgetown's my number one as well. I'll explain in a second. But uh, the back-to-back Final Four is Utah and Arizona. I think they were up 13-2 to two on Arizona and lost somehow. And then 98, losing to Utah, it's just – I just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, 94 is another one losing to Boston College. But, you know, even though they had a stacked team coming off a national championship, that that made it a little easier to stomach. But 97 and 98, I just, for the life of me, I cannot understand how that team didn't win. Either of those teams didn't win national titles. It's just, it's baffling. And you, you talk about Miles Simon just becoming all of a sudden the greatest player in the history of Earth for like two weeks. And Mike Bibby being Mike Bibby and you know, uh, all the guys from Utah, I can't remember half of them. Uh, I think Keith Van Horn was still there. Andre Miller might have had a triple-double. Um, you're just like, how did this happen? You know, Carolina was was a great team. They had the best players. They had two top-five picks. It, you just didn't see it coming that they would lose those two games. But going back, so after you do this for a while, you kind of lose your your fan a little bit, and you become you know become more objective, objective, and that's what we strive to do at ICs. Be independent. We're not cheerleaders. We don't work for the university. So all that aside, <laughs> in 2007, that was the maddest I think I've ever been at a Carolina team <laughs> um, because it was it was a meltdown that didn't have to happen. And you know I, I guess it's been happening now after what we saw this year. It's been happening 13 years later. But, I mean, they were clearly the better team. They were clearly more talented. They had the game wrapped up, and they just couldn't – they just kept taking dumb shots. And they, it was just like they were in their heads. And I, I don't know I don't know what caused it. And even in overtime, they just – they weren't doing what got them there. And um, just that meltdown to me was, was the most frustrating by far. I think I left my friend's apartment and just kind of went and sat in the dark for a couple of days after that. Yeah, I was actually working at a Best Buy during that game, believe it or not. And I was just so, so irate. Um, like coworkers were like, wow, you're really upset. What happened? I was like, I don't want to talk about it. So, yeah. Just think that. about the talent on that team. I mean, you have the entire class of 2005. I mean, excuse me, the entire class of 2006, Tyler Hansborough and Danny Green and Marcus Ginyard and uh, Bobby Frazier. You have the entire class of 2007, which is Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington and Brandon Wright, who everybody forgets, and Deion Thompson and Alex Stevenson. And then you had Rayshon Terry, who was still there, and Wes Miller was there. So you're talking about a team that legitimately could have gone 11 deep, you know, so they could play any style. Um, they could kind of do anything you asked. And I don't know, it's like they just weren't ready. Um, you know, the, the the freshman hadn't really been through anything yet. So uh, maybe it's part of what it was, but it just, every time I look back, I'm like, man, that team was as stacked as any Carolina team probably in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, they were just, I mean, it was the 2009 team plus a whole bunch of veterans, uh, plus mm-hmm. Brendan Wright, who was a one and done. So, I mean, to me, that's the most stacked Carolina team in a long time. It just doesn't get remembered, I think, the way it should, because there were some growing pains with, you know, Ty becoming the starting point guard over Bobby Frazier and, Wayne starting and then 
Brandon Wright and Hansborough trying to play together and, and operate in that kind of tight space in the paint. Um, but it was just, it was so talented and it was just, I don't know. It was just, they just weren't ready, I guess. While we're on this, this topic, I mean, just a few others to add. And, you know, we kind of used to talk about 05, 09, 2017, and you, you gloss over, uh, you know, really 2012, which from a talent perspective was, was right up there. And they just, you know, due to injuries, didn't get it done. Um, so I'll add in 2011, the, what was it? The elite eight loss to Kentucky. Uh, they beat Kentucky once earlier in the year and you know they were playing about as well as anybody but he could play just come off of uh you know it was a close game against washington which was a very very talented washington team and then had a blown out marquette um and you know the kentucky game i remember they're kind of you know kentucky had the upper hand the majority of the game but it was really close and so i think it was liggins hit you know kind of a back-breaking shot and then you go to 2012 and you know, i think once kendall marshall went out you know you kind of lost that that championship ceiling but you know still just the um you know that that Kansas game of you know still in white running point guard and just if you know a few things had gone differently you know they get in the final four and I don't think they're you know probably not beating Ohio State and and not beating Kentucky with a healthy team but you know those two years kind of get glossed over just since there, there wasn't a championship but but man, when, when healthy, that could have been, you know, we could have been talking about them of, you know, who's better of, you know, 05, 09, 12, 17, et cetera. So just we'll throw, uh, throw that team out there as well. Yeah, some of those what if scenarios, I think, are good ideas for podcasts that we can do into the off season. But for now, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap this up with just a very quick preview of what might be coming up on Inside Carolina. And then, Sean, with your podcast as well. Cheryl, do you know of anything that's in the works for IC that you can share with the listeners right now? Uh, just can continuing. I think continuing to monitor is like the phrase of, of the year, uh, just because all the emails we've been getting from everybody on the coronavirus, just like I get one from Joseph A. Bank that's like, we're continuing to monitor the situation. I'm like, why does Joseph A. Bank need to continue to monitor the coronavirus situation? Anyway, that was a side. Um, we are continuing to monitor the Kerwin Walton and Zaire Williams situations, and then we'll see uh, what happens as far as some of the transfers and grad transfers. But like Sean said, it doesn't seem like that's a, a pool of players they're going to look that deep into this season. I was even monitoring the, the junior college ranks yesterday to see if, uh, you know, there are any, any, you know, wings that could be unearthed there, but don't think there are anything in the, in the junior college ranks that UNC will be, be going after. But uh, in terms of the podcast that I, I do, the Shama Hoops pod, um, you know, haven't had a lot of big time guests this year, but was able to get Josh Passner to come on. And it, it was a very, high level conversation, but it was so interesting to kind of get his thoughts. And he spent a lot of time talking about the ACC and had some, you know, glowing things to say about Roy and, and UNC, but, but then kind of went on a, you know, how strong the ACC was and had something glowing to say about every team, but was a good kind of 30 minute discussion with him. That'll be up as well. Nice. Definitely looking forward to that one, man. Well, guys, we can go ahead and wrap this one up. Hope that you guys have a great rest of your Thursdays and a great rest of the week. All right. Stay safe. Yep. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. 
very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.